Man, can we give it up for the worship team tonight, man? Oh my gosh. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. You got to have a little fun up in church. Got to have a little bit of fun. Man, I've got Man, I've got some richness tonight. So good. I'm not going to be able to get through it all. I don't think I am. I'd like to. It's so good. You know how it is sometimes when I'm just like seeking the Lord all day and I'm reading through these passages of scriptures. It's like a chef preparing a meal for people, man. You know, he's struggling back there in the back, just tasting. He's like, dude, I want to eat this myself. You know, forget about them. <laughs> I'm going to eat this myself. And so, you know, that's how good the Word of God is. Man, did you have a Bible tonight, man? You might bring. Man, I heard pages turning, man, over the last week. Man, I like hearing pages. You know, it's good. Hey, there's nothing wrong with I'm not anti-iPad. I got one, all right? So I'm not anti. But I just think, man, there's just something happens when you, you have a Word that does, the power doesn't go out of it. And then all of a sudden, I can't read. I can't read my Word, man. The power's out. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to bed now, you know? No, it's always on. It's like Motel 6. We leave the light on for you. you know? So, man, I don't know where all this is coming from. It is just the joy of the Lord is my strength. So here we go. He is. He is so good. Uh, let's just pray for a minute. Ask God just to be here with us, that we would hear what he wants us to hear. God, we just thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we thank you that you just mold us and shape us into sons and daughters that will reflect your kingdom. God, we thank you. That, God, you choose to use imperfect vessels, God, just to show your glory off every day. God, I thank you that, Lord, we just get to bask in the freedom of what Jesus paid for. Lord, help us to hear your word tonight, what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Man, you know, over the last couple of weeks, I started uh, talking about engaging culture. And, um, and we are in a time where it is critical that we realize that we cannot just sit back and retreat to our churches and our Bible studies and our small groups and not engage this world that God put us in. And, and in the midst of this whole thing, it doesn't mean that you have to you know, jump from one ditch into another. And what, what do I mean by that? You, know, you don't have to jump in the ditch of fear and, and feel like that if you engage culture, then those cooties on the sinful people are going to get on you. If you, have, if you are born again, you have a new nature in Christ. I am not afraid of sinners. I like engaging and encountering people who don't know God. Amen. That's what we're here for. And so, you know, and then so many times what's happening because the spin of what's happening in the, in the world right now, you got other people jumping in the other ditch and it's like, well, if you see what's going on, you know, you're afraid to, to speak up or, or just be a light. And, and, you know, being able to be a light without being a critical, judgmental, hypocritical, religious Christian, just be a light bulb. It's not like, you know, it's just, it's, it's just shining light, you know? It's not like, you know, angry with people. You know, the light turns on when there's good people or bad people. Amen. It's just a light bulb, you know? And so if we're just being light, then, you know, then people will be able to see the truth. They'll be able to walk and not stumble and fall. And so, um, you know, I started out, um, you know, dealing with where, where we've kind of come over the last few weeks. And just to kind of recap for a minute, we're, we're, we're looking at the book of Daniel and the life of Daniel and his friends and how God placed Daniel at a time that was critical um, where Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity. And one of the cool things that, that I just love about the Bible is how if you take it serious and read what's in the book, you can actually see where None of it's coincidental. It's like God says, this is what's going to happen. And it's like, dude, you, you can get, you know, the movie before anybody else gets to see it in a theater kind of a thing. You know, that, that one that you go to jail for if you pirate it. But see, the Bible, it's different. He wants you to know. You know he wants you to have a glimpse and a window of what's going on. And so uh, Daniel chapter one kind of starts out, um, just, to, just to recap for a minute, where the Jew, the tribe of Judah, the king, 
Jehoiakim, um, evil, bad king, not representing the kingdom well. So God said, okay, it's time for that to be over. And, um, and so, you know what? I've given you hundreds of years to repent and turn your heart on me. Hundreds of years, okay? It's not like he's like, you know, God up there just ready to just stone everybody for not getting in line real quick. He gave them hundreds of years and um, hundreds of years to repent. You know, somebody, that's for somebody who really needs to realize have the long suffering of the Lord. Um, and so, but there came a time where he said, okay, now it, that window is over. In order to get you to cry out to me, I'm going to allow you to go into captivity. And so this was prophesied by, by Jeremiah. And, and I'll show you a passage of scripture that talks about it in a few minutes. But so Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity, taken to Babylon. And, um, and the king said that he wanted to put some of them into his service. And so he's taken these young Hebrew boys and he said, they're going to be trained for three years. We're going to indoctrinate them in our cultures, with our gods and our ways. And then they're going to serve us. And isn't that, isn't that interesting? You know, the time we live in right now, there are, you know, the, the system around us, the culture around us wants to take our children, okay, and indoctrinate them to believe a certain way, to live a certain way. And if that's not good enough, we'll just straight up cut your body parts off and get like really creepy and weird about this and like give you parts that were, you were never given. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be rude or disrespectful, but at some point in time, this thing gets awkward, it just does, okay? And I, maybe that's the pink elephant in the room nobody wants to talk about, but I, I ask my, my seven-year-old, my eight-year-old, I'm like, does that make sense? And they look at me like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, if a seven, eight-year-old or an eight and nine-year-old thinks that something is off, then, then maybe we as adults have carried something way too far trying to justify our own sin, okay? Now, there it is. Everybody's like, you went there. Well, that's what, that's what prophets do. That's what the word of God does. It, it doesn't like not turn on the light. It be, it's a light. And if we don't become light and salt, now here's the, here's the cool thing. We're light and we're salt. So we don't have to be nasty and, and mean and, and bigotry and, and all those kinds of things. We can just be salt and preserve life and be caring and loving, but I don't have to agree. I don't have to slip, the, fall down the, the mountainside of somehow like, you know, having to agree with things that I go, wait a minute, I, that, no, you're not going to steal my identity, devil. You're not going to steal who we are. I say all that to say, Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, were taken into a culture and a kingdom that was just as wicked, just as perverse, just as messed up as what you and I live in today. And in many ways, had it way worse than we do because all of their freedom was stripped from them. All of their freedom was taken from them. They are slaves in another kingdom. And I'm looking at their life and I'm like, this should speak to us right now to know how to navigate, how to engage culture of our day. Um, Daniel chapter two, verse 31, Daniel interprets a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. He, in, he interprets this dream and because he does such a great job, Nebuchadnezzar places Daniel in a place of great favor, a place of great authority. And, 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 and because he saw Daniel did something that none of his other diviners and magicians and enchanters could do. Daniel had a window to the God, to the God. And so because he was able to not just come up with an interpretation, he could actually tell the king what he dreamed. It opened the king's eyes to give him favor and to, to give him opportunity. And so, um, so what, what I want to, what, where I want to go with this is I want you to see something here. Just because you do well, doesn't mean you're not going to have more challenges as you're engaging this culture. Okay. Just because you have a moment where you hit the, you hit a grand slam and Holy Spirit works through you doesn't mean all of a sudden you like turn this thing off and don't have more challenges coming. So when you look at chapter two, you find out that, that, um, 
you know, Daniel and his friends continue to run into obstacles. Daniel interprets this part of the dream. Look here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. It says, you looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken into pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. Daniel is recognizing what the king dreamed in this particular part of the scripture. What I find so fascinating um, is when he picks up here in verse 37, he says this, listen to this. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion, power, and might, and glory. In your hands, he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Now, when you read the rest of that passage of scripture, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how Nebuchadnezzar hears what he wants to hear, not the full measure of what God's trying to get across to him. Nebuchadnezzar does not actually bow down and repent to the God that's prophesying to him right now, he actually hears what he wants to hear and actually does something even more prideful, more arrogant, and more boastful. And I didn't really pay attention to it till this afternoon when I looked at chapter three. Let's read this together right here. Look at this. Daniel chapter three, verse one. King Neb made an image of gold, 90 feet high and nine feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. I just got a word from the Lord to make an image of me nearly 100 feet tall so everybody can bow down and worship me. That's twisted. He didn't quite hear the prophecy so well. Let me say this. We're engaging culture as light and salt, the voice of the Lord trying to work through our life. They're not always going to hear clearly everything we say. You just have to be obedient to give what you're supposed to give. You're just supposed to be obedient with your part. So Nebuchadnezzar builds and, 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 and erects this you know, image of himself and he proclaims that everyone has to come and bow down to this image of gold, of himself. And, and listen to what all he brings. He brings his governors, his satraps, his prefects, his advisors, his treasurers, his judges, his magistrates, and all other provi- uh, provincial officials to come to the dedication. Do you know what that speaks to me? That says, I want every facet of my culture and kingdom understanding who we're worshiping, who we're giving ourselves to. The kings and kingdoms of this world build images, systems, and structures that tower people's minds, hearts, and bodies in order to capture their attention and ultimately gain their worship. That's what it's designed to do. The enemy in our, in our, in our world, why do, you, why do you think we create things like American Idol? We want to be so big, so famous that people are willing to lift their hands and worship us. Rock stars and movie stars, they're they're not just kind of somewhat liked and enjoyed, you know? There's nothing wrong with liking entertainment. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a, a great movie. Why is it that we literally come to the point of like idolizing and worshiping them, giving them billions of dollars to have fun? Okay, so 
what I want you to see here is, is that this system that, that we're operating is we have to have a worldview that puts all of this in perspective. Last week, I really tried to bring home this point first. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Although there's all of these systems at work, although there are kings that, that appear to answer to no one, that there are kings who can have people cut into multiple pieces and their body parts scattered all over the ends of the earth. They can be locked away in dungeons and nobody will ever care or think about them. There is a God who sees it all. And in the Hebrew, when you look at that particular portion in Daniel chapter one, when it says that God gave Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, the literal Hebrew word means that God gave him. God gave it to him. It was not Neb, King Neb's awesome military might that pulled that off. It was God, sovereign God, allowing it to happen because God has an end time game plan and an end time story. And what we have to get grounded, rooted inside of us is that this God who is so sovereign, is, he, is, he is taking care of your little personal life, working at Ruby Tuesday or wherever you work, doing what you do. And at the same time, keeping the planets in orbit. And he does not struggle. If you understand that he is Yahweh, he is, he, he is Adonai, he is the uncreated, always being God. You know, uh, it was awesome. I was talking with somebody at the men's prayer, prayer uh, group on Saturday morning, which is awesome. If you're a man and you haven't been, dude, you need to come. It's just awesome. Um, and, but we were talking and, um, this question, you know, when you're a kid, you have parents and you know where you come from. Then you ask the question, well, where does God come from? How is God born? You know, God has always been, God will ever, will always be. And so we have a limited perspective. So this God who has always been and will always be, he has infinite eternal wisdom and knowledge. It's hard for us to grasp and wrestle with that kind of power. And the only way you begin to even understand it is when you get born again and he puts his spirit inside of you, then you can begin to understand his thoughts. Up until that point, you are short-circuiting fuses in your mind on a daily basis. I've been there. I mean, sometimes I do it anyway when I had a spirit whenever I was walking more in my mind and not by my spirit. So King Nebuchadnezzar is a picture, the, the kingdom of Babylon is a picture that we can understand how we can work in the system of where we are today. If you want a title tonight, here's one of the things I want you to hear. Yahweh, God, our protector. Even in the midst of a corrupt culture, even in the midst of broken, a broken system, the sovereign God is so in control that he is also in control that he can protect us. And you need to know that, that you don't have to walk with fear. You don't have to listen to what's being talked about on the news and every political station and get nervous. God is in control. Jeremiah 29, I want to read this to you just so you see just how in control he is. Jeremiah and, and uh, Daniel are, are, are somewhat contemporaries. Jeremiah was older, so he was kind of going out when Daniel was kind of coming in, kind of a deal. But I want you to hear what Daniel, well, what Jeremiah prophesied about the children of Israel. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Listen to this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, listen to this. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. 
pray to the Lord for? Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams, you, d- dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Listen to this. God is saying, I'm sending you into exile. And while you're in that ungodly culture and system with an with a, with a evil, corrupt king ruling over you, I want you to pray for their prosperity because as they prosper, you're going to prosper. And he doesn't say go into captivity and all of a sudden like hide away and not flourish where you are. He's saying, no, I will cause you to flourish even in the midst of what seems so jacked up and broken. That's awesome. That's how we can engage this society and culture. It doesn't matter what It doesn't matter what the judicial system says. It doesn't matter what the executive branch thinks he wants to say about how we're going to live. We live under an authority that comes from God. You you get your breath from him. And so now listen, hear my heart. That does not mean I walk around with a rebellious attitude because I don't think Jeremiah is prophesying that we're supposed to be a rebellious people. He's saying you have to come into that system and realize, yes, you're in captivity, but I'm still making provision for you to prosper, to flourish, your families grow. That's extremely encouraging. And listen to this part right here. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. But let me tell you something. That passage of scripture carries a whole lot more weight when you've been in captivity for 70 years. When you think God has forgotten you. Has anybody ever felt like that sometimes? It's like, dude, where are you? It's like, I prayed, I fasted, I've read the word, I went to church, I was doing everything I thought I was supposed to do, and I'm still stuck in this place. I can imagine the children of Israel felt that, and it's why God gave them this prophetic word to not lose hope, to not lose heart. I don't care what is happening in the world around us. You have a word from heaven if you'll listen to it. You don't have to grow weary in well-doing. You don't have to live without hope. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Then you will call upon me and come and pray and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We have some, I'm sorry to say it, there's some half-hearted seekers. It's just our, I'm telling you. I watched a, a, a little, my wife brought me a little clip off Facebook today of a good old country boy in Tennessee, man, just on a rant. And I was like, dude, I like this guy. I'm like, I'm going to give him the microphone and have him preach. You know, he's just sitting there digging fence, fence posts, man, just digging fence posts. Dude, he's just amped up about what's happening in the world around. You know what was so amazing to me? He was giving more credit to God and our nation repenting and coming back and, and flying the, you know, the, the Christian flag above the, the American flag. You know, he was like, but I mean, just the, getting this thing in order and just talking about people actually paying a price. You know, when you have, you, you know, he, he has family members that are in the military and you got guys being, you know, shot up, you know, the, the Marines and at the recruiting offices and, 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 you know, just, just finally it's like, you're tired of being pushed. You're tired of being pushed. And this is what was so awesome. I didn't hear him one time say, I'm going to go get a gun and shoot somebody. I didn't hear him one time start getting racial slurs. I didn't hear him one time saying words of division. It was all about unity. It's all about getting on our face and seeking God and crying out for his help. And I've said that over the last couple of weeks. This thing only shifts when God's people humble themselves and pray. Period. Whenever we actually decide we're all in. Because if you, if you don't think God that sees and knows, man, we're deceived. He knows where our heart is fully invested. He knows what our heart is fully invested to. So in looking at Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied that they would go into captivity and have to, 
to still live life in the midst of that captivity. They still had to engage the culture that we're in. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 5, how Paul writes about this. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Well, there you go. We're out. <laughs> I got my excuse. Verse 10, keep reading. Not, all, not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slander, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Maybe that's where the hypocrisy came in. Maybe that's where the hypocrisy comes in. He goes on to say, Who, what is it to me to judge those outside the body of Christ? I should judge what's inside, not what's outside. Those who are outside, they don't know. Why do we hold them accountable to something they don't know? But a person who claims to be a brother and a sister in Christ, who says they have been born again, this is the reason why those outside look to the inside and say, man, you guys are just like, you're hypocritical. Because see, we need to look here first. We need to let repentance start with us so that we not look down our right, self-righteous nose at those who are outside the body, who are, who are drowning in their sin and going to die and go to hell if they don't hear the truth of love and freedom. You know, I, I think it's powerful that the whole issue of sexuality is in this passage because in the same verse he talks about sexual immoral, he also talks about greedy and slander. Greedy and slanderous. Close your eyes for a minute. Don't nobody look around. <laughs> gossip. That way nobody, get, you know, it stays right there. When we're talking about each other behind each other's back, that's why they look at us and they're not tasting what the truth died for. Okay, you can look at me. Paul said, don't even eat with someone like that. And we can all go into a lot of different reasons as to why he would make such a harsh statement. I think if we look at that in, in just a little bit of context of what he's saying, he's saying, we can't come into agreement with someone who's willing to live that way because the name of the Lord will be tarnished. The church will be tarnished if we come into agreement with that. Now, let me say this. The Bible also says when you, when you have someone who has sinned, restore them gently and in love. So I'm not shoving a brother or sister out whenever I know they're walking through something hard or something difficult and refusing to be in community with them. It's something different. It's when someone says, I want to live in community with you, but I don't need to transform. I want to live in community with the church, but where I'm at is God is okay with this. See, that's what's being confronted now. God is cleaning up his church. We think this is just about the world. I'm here to tell you right now, this is about a bride. This is about a bride he's coming back for without spot or wrinkle or stain. God knows how to protect his people and he will sustain those who trust in him. Turn over in your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. There were 
a few things that came to my mind, three particular things when I think about engaging culture, engaging a culture that is no different than what Daniel had to engage in his day, that, that you and I have just as many challenges set before us. How do we do it? And, and I think Philippians chapter three kind of gives us a window. The apostle Paul kind of gives us a template. And, and here's the first thing I would say, have no confidence in your flesh. Look at Philippians 3, 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul was saying, I'm not putting any confidence in the fact that I'm a Hebrew, that I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm not putting my confidence in the law. I'm putting my confidence in Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of my faith. So whenever I'm stepping into this culture that you and I have been called to live a life of, uh, live out this life in Christ with, then I need to realize that I'm drawing strength, not from my talent, not from my mind. I'm drawing strength from his spirit. Cause he says right here that we worship by the spirit of God. How many times have you been in that place where you've tried to worship God and it feels like flat? flat. And then you get soulless. You're like, well, if I can jump higher and clap louder and what's the dude on the worship team doing? I'll do what he's doing. And he's got his sway going, you know, he's just, I started to go a little guns and roses. I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle. This came rushing back over me just then. I'm sorry. That just revealed my age, my class. <laughs> Look, Here's the deal. You can have no confidence in your flesh. Jumping higher, clapping louder, shouting, that does not get his attention. He looks for those who will humble themselves and worship him in spirit and in truth. Whenever we come to a place that we recognize I can't do things to make him like me more, all I can do is receive the gift that he's trying to give me. And that Changing my posture is a reflection of what I'm feeling in my heart. And so I'm not feeling connected to God. And so you know what? Maybe if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to try to do some magical performance. I'm just going to get more real. I'm going to get more transparent with him. God, I'm in a world right now. I feel pressure all around me. I work in this job and I'm working with people who, who don't love you and they, they don't like me because I, I go to church and, and I feel flat right now. I don't feel like, I don't feel you when I go to work. And then maybe you decide I'm going to get on my knees before I go to work. And I'm getting real with you, God. I'm going to worship you by my spirit and ask you to fill me. So that whenever I come into that place, no longer does the atmosphere control or dictate me. I'm shifting the atmosphere because the uncreated God is living in me. Have no confidence of your flesh. Second thing, in order to really engage culture, the second thing I think Paul brings out in this passage of scripture is Philippians 3.12. Look at this. 3.12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and this is what Christians struggle with every day, forgetting. Because see, the accuser of your life shows up on a daily basis to try to remind you of everything that you've done. He's there meeting you face to face. You're trying to live out by your spirit, engage your workplace, your family, the culture, and all of a sudden you have that voice there reminding you of how you used to live. Maybe even 24 hours used to live. Maybe even 30 minutes. Let's just be real. 
Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. You know what that tells me? To strain means, you know what? I've got something to do with this. Somebody wants a close relationship with God, it doesn't just magically happen. You do something about it. You actually strain and press forward into the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. You strain, you press forward. What, is, what does that look like? That doesn't look like me just sitting around and just thinking like, you know, angels are just going to start dancing around me, you know? All of a sudden, I'm just going to know everything about the Bible. I'm, all of a sudden, I'm just going to feel joyful and full. No, those things happen whenever I step out in obedience to what he's revealing. Whenever I forget the accusations of my past, I cut off the lies of Satan that bombard. They're like missiles, man, are they not? Missiles just bombing your mind. He says, I forget them. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So have no confidence in the flesh, forgetting what's in your past and pressing on, straining forward, pressing forward. What is that going to look like for you personally? Because see, everybody is not the same. For you, pressing forward maybe means getting up at five o'clock in the morning to be with God because you got to be at work at a certain time. Maybe for you, that means hitting it at, you know, when the kids go to bed. I, I don't know. But this I do know. If I do nothing, I'll get nothing. If I do nothing, I get nothing. What I'm investing in is what I'm going to reap. And the reality is we're investing in something every day, whether you want to admit it or not. You're investing to your iPhone, your iPad, your Facebook, your Twitter, your Twitter, your Twitter, your Twitter. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's keep going. Um, friends, movies, all these things that we invest ourselves into, we, we're investing ourselves into something, but is what you're investing in actually building you up? Is it actually giving you a return? Are you feeling full after you've invested yourself? The third thing of how to really engage culture is ultimately recognizing where your citizenship is. Look at right here, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, going right back to that sovereignty thing, that he is in control. He is in control. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Dude, you want something that'll put a smile on your face? Recognize that he's transforming your lowly body into his glorious body. All of a sudden, dude, this thing could get really interesting real fast with the uncreated eternal God saying, hey, I want to share with you a transformation of likeness with me. I want you to roll the way I roll. You know what I'm saying? Dude, oh, Jesus swagger, man. That's what I'm hearing. It's like, I'm sorry, I had to go there. I did. I'm telling you, dude, I'm telling you, man. He went to the cross and they were seeing it one way. And when he comes back, dude, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, you're going to see a whole new stride. You're going to see a whole new pep in his step. You're going to see a whole different. You're going to see the lion of the tribe of Judah. Recognize where your citizenship is and meditate on this. Look at this right here. Verse 8 of chapter 4, Philippians 4, 8. Listen to this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why does he go through such a long list? Because there's such a long list that is fighting for your thought life. There's such a long list that is fighting to take up time in your mind. And he's saying, I want you to don't count this flesh as nothing. Have no confidence in this flesh. Worship me by the spirit. That's how you'll know how to engage the culture of your day. That's how Daniel did it. Daniel came to the king and said, King Neb, nobody can do what you're asking, but give me a little time. I'll consult the God who is uncreated and he will tell me what's going on. You know what is so powerful about what Daniel did that we don't really pay attention to? Daniel did not just save him and his three friends, but he actually saved all of those unrighteous sinner, sorcerer, satraps and diviners too. Can you imagine some friends maybe that he made that's just not written about in the book? Could you imagine some guys coming up to him afterwards saying, dude, thank you so much. Please tell me how you did that. See, we don't, we don't see that. We don't, we don't read in between the lines sometimes. I can guarantee you that after Daniel did that, some of those guys wanted to know more. They wanted to know more. See, we got to stop thinking that, that God moving in me only means salvation for me. Maybe God moving in me means salvation for those who don't even love our God. God is our protector. God is our deliverer. I want to take a moment. I just want us to bow our heads. I want us to pray. I want us to pray to the God that Daniel prayed to. I want us to pray for our nation, for our city, for our families. King Neb set up, a, set up an image that he required everyone to worship, everyone to bow down to. But three of Daniel's friends would not bow down to that. Here's what I want you to hear. There comes a time where you draw a line in the sand. I can serve you. I can love you. I can pray for you. I can even allow you to beat me. But I will not bow down and give worship to anything but Yahweh. Have you decided in your heart today that when that time comes, have you already determined in your heart who you're gonna bow down to? Have you already determined in your heart that you only bow and give your worship to Jesus Christ, to his Father, through his Spirit? If you don't have that settled now, there's coming a day, there's coming a time. It may not be tomorrow. Because the more I live, the more I see how the pot is slowly heating up so the frog doesn't jump out.
Will you choose tonight to be like Daniel's friends and to stand and worship the true and living God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength? And be able to engage a nation of people who are lost. Can you serve them without bitterness? Can you love them without guile in your heart? Can you pray for them when others have given up on them? Jesus came showing us the way. Jesus came showing us how to lay our life down for others. The God you serve is sovereign. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you pray to him, he hears your prayers and he will answer with strength. He will answer with power. And God is not so detached that he doesn't want you to know what's going on. If he told Jeremiah what was coming to the people of Israel, he will tell you too. Because even in the midst of trial or struggle or opposition, he still wants you to prosper. He still wants you to flourish. He still wants you to multiply. Why? Because in that, his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray for our country. Lord God, we come before you tonight humbly and reverently recognizing our low, small position that, Lord, we have no voice outside of us having a voice with you. Lord, I pray right now that we, as the body of Christ, would truly be unified. That, Lord, I pray that our petty disagreements would fall off, Lord God, like winter leaves falling off of a tree. That, Lord, I pray that a great awakening is waiting on your church, that you are going to release a revival to your bride, that you're gonna release an awakening to this nation and this generation, that Lord, I pray that we as your people will not retreat, but that we would move forward in greater love, in greater service, in greater anticipation that you are the sovereign God of the earth. Lord, I pray for our government because you told Jeremiah to tell the people, pray for those people that you may prosper too. So Lord, I pray for our federal government. I pray that there would be wisdom in our White House. I pray, God, that that would be your house, that that house would be governed by your counsel. And Lord, we ask that angels would guard those doorways. And that, Lord, we pray that you would keep it pure. That, Lord, we ask that no other religious influence could change the course and direction of this nation. That, Lord, we truly could stand as one people under God, indivisible, for liberty and justice for all. That we actually believe justice for all. Lord, we pray for our senators and our governors. 
Lord, we pray for our mayors. Lord, I pray for our superintendents of our schools. God, we pray, God, for every business owner. Father, we pray right now, God. I pray that the people in the sound of my voice would recognize the influence that's living inside of them. Recognize the influence that's living inside of you that God could put you next to kings. God could put you next to governors. God would put you next to influential people the same way he did for Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah so that the fourth man could walk with you in whatever fiery furnace the enemy tries to put you in. They can't stop you. Because if God be for you, who can stand against you? Would you stand to your feet? Let's lift our hands for a moment. Let's just lift our hands. Let's give him some praise. God, we praise you. We worship you. God, we thank you right now. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for your spirit that flows in this place. God, we just thank you right now. God, that no weapon formed against your church will prosper. God, I thank you that unity is rising. God, we will not let the, 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 the negative news guide the rudder of our faith in our heart. We will not let the negativity that's circulating the earth guide the position of our heart. That we will walk with the right attitude because as it says in Philippians, we will think on good things. We will think on noble things. We will think on things that are good and true that pertain to godliness. Come on, man. Let's give God a huge shout of praise. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, God. We praise you, God. Man, I'm just going to ask our prayer team, if you guys would come up, have some of our prayer team come up. Listen, if you are in the midst right now of struggling with walking in what I'm talking about tonight, if you struggle with your identity of really walking with that confidence, I want you to come and let us pray with you. Let us agree with you that God would release to you your identity and your purpose, that you would not walk fearful. If that's you tonight and you want someone to pray with you about the calling on your life to walk in your purpose, then we're here for you. God bless you guys. Have an awesome night, man. We have another service starting in about five minutes, so we'll let you get out of here. Have a good night. Have a great week.